this? Good evening. Wow, there's more of you tonight. This is great. And I love the music. Excellently done. Really great rhythm guitar. Great song leading. I feel the passion. Really well executed. You're throwing yourselves into it, and it shows. How many of you would like to have a boyfriend or girlfriend? Okay. Raise your hand. Okay. Let's be honest. Okay. How many of you are ambivalent about it? That means you're kind of don't feel two ways about it. You're not sure. Raise your hand. Okay. And how many of you don't want one? Okay. You know, it's like roughly equal, roughly split between all three. So this is the last night I'm going to be here. I wasn't able to come Friday night. So I'm going to share a little more with you about, can you hear me okay? Maybe I'll go like that. So I'm going to share with you a little more about some stuff I went through when I was your age and then some mental health lessons that came out of it. So I wanted a boyfriend. I was in high school, and that was just what you did. And yet I couldn't find someone that was just perfectly suitable. Well, this is really weird. This is many years ago, but I was into the Lord of the Rings before the Lord of the Rings was cool. So I read J.R. Tolkien's book, and a friend of mine, I'm going to call him Jim, was also reading the book at the same time. And we got so deeply involved in the Lord of the Rings that we sort of lived in that headspace, like that was our reality. And he would actually test me. He would have me get to a one wing in the high school. I went to a really big high school. Oprah Winfrey went to my high school. Not when I was there, but a couple years before and it was huge. It was like 2,500 students. So anyway, he would give me tests, and I would have to get from one wing of the high school to the other in a certain amount of time. And then I would like graduate from being a hobbit to being an elf kind of thing. So it was just weird. Like We lived in this world of hobbits and elves, and it was just so, it was so well-written and so interesting, and it was so much better than the lives we had that we just sort of escaped into that reality. But then he invited me to go to homecoming with him. And I had, like, friend-zoned him in my mind, you know. He was actually a really nice-looking guy, but it just, didn't, it just didn't, I don't, just didn't see him that way, and it wrecked our relationship. Have you ever had that happen? And so for years afterward, there was, like, this tension because he knew that things had gone bad because he had feelings for me and I didn't reciprocate. And our, two things happened, that two ways in which he sort of took out his frustrations. Um, one is that we were on a church camp out. I wasn't raised a Seventh-day Adventist, but I did attend a church, and we did go on these weekend things. And he was a member of my church, and he got a bunch of kids together, and they tied a rope around my ankles and strung me up over a tree to where I was hanging upside down. What? True story. Now, I was laughing hysterically the whole time it was happening, but kind of feeling like this isn't really all that funny at the same time, you know? And now that I reflect back on it, if someone had done that to my kid, even if she was laughing, I'd be furious. Exactly. It was a little abusive. And then another thing that happened was I was walking down the hall, and these are halls full of people just everywhere, and I was carrying my books on my head, like stacked up like five books high like this, you know. And all of a sudden, he comes out of nowhere and whacks the books, and they go spilling out across the whole hallway. And I'm like, of course, scrambling around, and people are like practically trampling me. You know, a practical joke, ha, ha, ha. But we weren't even really friends by that point because he was, you know, because the things kind of went weird. So 
just think that's like kind of sad. You know, it's really sad when someone likes you and you don't like them. I've had that experience more than once and it's just tough. But then it goes the other way sometimes too. So let me tell you a story about that. So then I met this guy and I have to sigh before I say his name. Oh, Rick. And Rick was one of the cute ones. I had a high school class of maybe, I'm going to say there were probably five or six or 700 kids in my high school class. And he was one of the real cuties. Now, I went to high school. I had a lot of Jewish kids that attended the high school that I went to. And I tell you, there's something about the chosen race thing. They were overall, I would say, better looking, better academically, and better athletes. I'm not kidding. And so there was this group of girls that were like the Jewish girls, and they were all beautiful, just knocked dead, beautiful, dropped down, whatever you call it. So then there was a girl named Marcy, and she was really cute. Anyway, I went on a ski trip. And I met this guy, oh, Rick, and he was one of the dreamboats of the whole class. And he was dating this girl, Marcy. And we started to talk on this ski trip, and we just kept talking. And I'm a pretty good conversationalist, although, believe me, I was not one of the cute girls, and I was not—I was kind of a wallflower, not really that popular or anything. But I knew how to engage in a conversation. So we had a lot of conversations on that ski trip. I won't tell you all the details of what happened, but long story short, got back to high school and thought, well, that's the end of that. And he didn't really say much to me. He was dating this girl, Marcy. But one day I was sitting in algebra class, and I know how to make these origami birds. And I made this little teeny little origami bird. And then I was walking through the hall, and he was in the middle of this huge swath of friends. He was so popular, and I really wasn't. So I walked up to him and put the little bird in his hand. And I thought, that's my way of saying, I miss you, or whatever. Walked away, never thought I'd talk to him again. Little did I know that he was actually in the process of breaking up with this girl, Marcy, because he liked me. And he went to her, and he said, look, you know, I met this girl on a ski trip, and we really hit it off, and I'm just not really feeling my relationship with you. And Marcy was, like, apparently fine with it. And she's like, okay, you know, I, I'm serious. You know, she really didn't mad, mind that much. And um, apparently, maybe she didn't, she didn't show it. I don't know exactly what happened. But long story short, he eventually, well, we did one of those things we came to, and I'm sure you're not allowed to do this in an Adventist school, but I went to a public school. We went to an assembly, and we ended up sitting together, you know. And it was one of those things where you put your hand on the, yeah, yeah. You just move apart a little bit there. Anyway. So you, you put your hand on the, um, on the like, little armrest thing in between, and then he put his hand on the armrest, and then you move your hand a little closer. He moved his hand. By the end of it, we were holding hands and walking down the hall, and that was like symbolic of, you know, they're dating now, you know. So anyway, long story short, that started a three-year relationship with, oh, Rick. But in the middle of the three-year relationship, we broke up. I'll, I'll, let me qualify. He broke up with me. He broke up with me because I was not fast enough for him. I'll just put it that way. And he had a group of male friends that were constantly pushing him towards certain things. And I wasn't willing. And so they pressured him enough. The other reason he broke up with me, this is going to shock you a little bit, but this is the world that I came from. Psychedelics were very popular at that time among teenagers, LSD, mescaline, psilocybin, mushrooms. People would take them and they go on these, quote, trips. And the thing about LSD, it was very popular, but the thing about it was that it could cause birth defects. 
in children. If people took LSD and they had children, they could have a, you know, a child that had a birth defect from the LSD. So I knew this, and I wanted to marry this guy, I thought, and I didn't want to have a child with a birth defect if it could possibly be avoided, and so I persuaded him to stop taking LSD. Well, that was another thing that his friends pressured him about. You got a trip with us, man. What's why, why are you letting this woman hold you back and all this stuff? So they eventually prevailed on him, and I still remember where we went. We would uh, take long walks in nature all the time, and we were sitting on a hillside near a lake near his house, and the leaves were turning into their fall colors. I was from Wisconsin. I still remember where it was. The memory is frozen in my mind, and he basically said, it's over. I'm not going to be with you anymore, and broke my heart. And I went into what was probably clinical depression, because what I had done is I had built my life around this kid. I had basically dumped all my girlfriends. I didn't really have any interest in my girlfriends. I didn't have an interest in my hobbies. I didn't have an interest in anything. I had an interest in one thing, and what was that? Him. So I wasn't, oh, Rick, exactly. And so I wasn't mature enough to really sort that all out, and I just got caught up. And so it was, my life was shattered. I had no one, no one to talk to about it. You know, it's kind of hard to go back to your friends that you dumped for a guy and be like, oh, I'm so sad he dumped me because, you know, they're kind of over you at that point. So I was, re- I was really lonely and really struggling, and I went into clinical depression, just to be honest. And I remember there was this book. It was called, um, oh, it was called, what was it? No One Else Will Listen. And it was about God. And the whole book was a prayer written by a girl. Now, I wasn't raised particularly religious. I didn't really have a walk with God at all. But someone gave me that book, and I would secretly read it because it was like talking about a God that came to you in your darkest moment and loved you anyway and would listen to you talk. And that's the thing that I desperately wanted was a God that or someone, anyone that would listen to me. Anyway, what happens when you have a traumatic experience in your life that young, when your brain is still in the process of formation, is it sort of wires depression into your mind, you know, it wires psychological problems into your mind. And so into my adult years, even as a Christian, I became a Christian at 19, and even as a Christian, I struggled with depression. In fact, it's so funny because Adventists are always talking about eat the Adventist diet and live the Adventist lifestyle, and you'll live six years longer. And I would be going through depression where I wanted to die. And people would be like, you can live six years longer. And I'd be like, I never told you I wanted to live six years longer. You know, you're making assumptions. Anyway, so I've learned a few things that I want to share with you about depression from that event and other events that I experienced. Okay, so first of all, I wish I'd had someone to talk to. If you just have someone to talk to when you're going through something like that, having another pair of eyes on it can be very helpful. And that's where counseling comes in. Well, that was not common in those days. But it's common now, and I will give you a resource. You can talk to a Seventh-day Adventist mental health coach through Abide Network. So just go to abide.network and fill out the intake form, and you can get an affordable, trained, capable, wonderful Christian Adventist coach. If you're having struggles with depression, anxiety, suicidality, any number of problems you're struggling with, we have people there to help you. Abide.network. I wish I'd had someone. Wish I'd had someone just to talk to during that time. The other thing that I've learned since then is that what you believe 
makes you feel what your feelings follow your thoughts. So I came to believe certain things as a result of the trauma of this breakup. I came to believe that I was unlovable. And then because I believed I was unlovable, I felt unlovable. And I came to believe that I would never love again. And because I felt like I would never love again, I, yeah, because I believed I never love again, I felt that I would never love again, and so on and so forth. This caused this cycling of depression, okay? So you have to straighten your thought life out. And in order to do that, sometimes you have to break up with your feelings. Speaking of breakups, sometimes you have to break up with your feelings because feelings lie to you. My feelings told me that no one loved me, and then I believed that no one loved me because my feelings told me that no one loved me, but then because feelings follow thoughts, when I believed that no one loved me, I felt it even more deeply, and then I believed it even more deeply, then I felt it even more deeply, and believed it even more deeply, and felt it even more deeply, and believed it even more deeply, and kept going down, down, down into a full-blown clinical depression. So sometimes you have to break up with your feelings. The third thought I want to share with you is that do you remember in the Garden of Eden when God made Eve out of Adam's toe? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. God made Eve out of a bone from Adam's skull? Oh, God made Eve out of what? Oh, and that connotes, you know, equality and partnership and all that stuff. So anyway, that's not my point. My point is this. He made Eve out of Adam's what? Rib. And then it says he formed the woman. And actually, it's a different verb that is used for the making of the woman than the verb that is used for the making of the man. The making of the man is like pottery, like a pottery makes a potter makes pottery. And the making of the woman is an, a word that means kind of architect. He architected Eve. He, he shaped Adam, but he architect. Which one sounds more complicated? Yeah. Well, think of it this way. Women are the crowning act of creation, just like humanity is a crowning act. The finale, women are made last, right? And they're like the top of the pile. They're complex and sophisticated. So guys, learn about them. Learn about them from male mentors so that when you get married, you will have a, a jump start. And then learn once you are married, learn about women from your woman, from your wife. It's a very important thing. She's your best textbook to know how a woman works. But here's the last thing I wanted to say to you is that he made Eve out of the rib of Adam, and then it says he brought her to Adam. What is the significance of the fact that he then brought her to Adam? He spent time with her first and then brought her to Adam. I think there's a message in that, and that is make your relationship with God, your connection to God, first in your life. And that goes the other way, too. It goes for guys, too. But I think it's easier even for women to form an almost idolatrous relationship with guys. So make your relationship, form that relationship with God first. Put him first. And then when he brings you to the one, that you're, the human that you're going to spend your life with, you will have made that connection to him first. Amen? Okay, that's what I have for you. God bless you guys. Enjoy camp meeting. Really enjoyed sharing with you.